0: Last week, uh, I preached a message on uh, adding to your faith virtue, and I fell into my title almost by mistake. My process is to read uh, the lectionary text, I pull them into a document, a Word document, I start reading them over, and mulling them over, and start to sense a theme, and look at one passage of Scripture and start studying it out, And, and it develops and forms into my message for the week, and it was on virtue last week, Add to Your Faith Virtue. And uh, I recall the passage that is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And it's really an exhortation about how faith is the foundation for our Christian life. But it's not the end and be all of everything. It's something that we start with and we build onto that faith and we build into that faith some qualities that make us rise up to be individuals who are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so supplement your faith with virtue. Add, and in King James NIV have add to your faith and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness brotherly affection or brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness with love. And these qualities, as they're in you and fill you up, they make you to be transformed and effective in your Christian walk with the Lord. And so that was my thought for last week. I just used that tag as my title. And I started reading the text for this week, pulled them into a document, started reading them over. And they were all about knowledge. They were all about wisdom and knowledge. And step number two, so what I didn't realize last week, I was starting a seven-part series on adding to your faith. And so my thought is, adding to your faith, how do you develop qualities that define a robust Christian life? And for today, we're focusing upon the second one. Uh, Well, let me come to that in just a moment. The second one is uh, adding to your faith knowledge. Become a people of wisdom in a knowledge-filled world. Uh, let me just give you one announcement that I didn't make it to the announcement page for this week. Next Sunday has been declared by our province our n- and deanery as, a <clears throat> as a World Mission Sunday. I want to emphasize that next Sunday. We're going to give you a, a picture, a glimpse of our missionaries and what their endeavors are and how they're important to us as far as a body that we reach beyond ourselves to our regional community but also to the, to the globe and to the world. And so that will be our emphasis there's also going to be a challenge on the tw- on the 22nd of February. It's a hike challenge, and uh, I'm going to encourage us to participate in that. If you'd like to go hike, Debbie and I are going to hike. She indicated, raised her hand for service. I hadn't talked to her about it. <laughs> Debbie, you going to hike with me uh, on the, on the 22nd? And uh, they is it Mount Rubio. Rubedo. Thank you very much. It's going to be on Mount Rubedo. And they're going to focus upon uh, six missionary cha- mission challenges that our bishop has put forward. as part of the diocese. And uh, we're going to do a prayer walk hike that morning. I think it starts about 10 o'clock and it goes for about two hours. And so I'm going to plan to participate. Others who want to join me in that, please uh, uh, let me know. We're going to have a sign up next week. have more information about it. I want to get it before you. And it's also an opportunity not just to go hike, but also to give. Uh, the bishop uh, needs resources to help with some of his initiatives. And so he's asking that people try to get supporters for them as they, sponsors as they go hike, that maybe $10 per person would be toward one of the six initiative. Or if you want to support all six initiative, you might want to contribute $60 toward your hiker and they can raise money for the diocese in that manner. So be aware of that coming up. I'll emphasize it more next week, but I want to just put it out there to get it aware of your attention. Start you thinking about putting on your calendar, and maybe you'll hike with us on Mount Rubidoux. Thank you. (laughs) I'll get it. I'll get it sometime. And so, now my topic of my message today is uh, adding to your faith knowledge. I was in college in Tennessee at a fundamental Baptist school, and it was a school where you had chapel five days a week. A lot of times we had wonderful speakers, great preachers. Other days we had pathetic horrible speakers <laughs> and we would go back to the dormitories that night and we'd have devotions around 10 o'clock we'd have lights out by 11 30 and could, if you had your light on you got demerits it's like you can't study past 11:30. are you kidding me it's like I don't know that's just some things that you just shake your head at you submit it to but anyway we would sit there at 10 o'clock and we would think about the sermon of that morning and say was it a good sermon a bad sermon and a lot of times the bad sermons we would just dissect and say okay this is education in reverse. We heard a bad sermon, so very bad ideas. Now let's find out what Scripture says and what theology truly says and what's really true and back it out and and get it right, you know. And so it's education in reverse. You have to back out of this thing, get away from it, and then go on to something true. And that happened more time than not. One of the preachers we didn't have to do this for, and many times there were good preachers there we didn't have to do that for, was S.M. Lockridge. Uh, He was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church down in San Diego, a 40 year pastorate in, uh, at Calvary Baptist uh, from uh, 53 to 93. And uh, so, amazing time. His uh, SM is Shadrach Meshach. <laughs> that, that's, that's, a, that's on Wikipedia. It's, and he said that to us anyway, so I remember that. And uh, one, of, one of his greatest messages was on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you want to hear a good example of black preaching, the, the rhythm, the, the melody, the, the movement, the, the parallelism, all this stuff, it, it's beautiful. Uh, I, one edition of that I heard online was not that great, but when I heard it in person, it was just like stirs your soul. I mean just stirs your, just the rhythm of it just stirs your soul, just pumps you up. And the Lordship of Christ, you might look for that. When he spoke to us, he told the story of a young man who went to his pastor for some counsel, wondering about whether he should go to college, and he was a black young man with a black pastor. And the wise pastor spoke to him and gave him these words. He said, yes, go, go, go and and get you some learning. Go and get you some learning so that other people don't look down upon you. And then he didn't stop there. He kept going. He said, and then once you've done that, you go, you go, go and get you some more learning. Go and get you some more learning so that you don't look down on other people. And so he's given this sense that a lot of times it's pride in knowledge. And I lived in a world of academia, and I know that to be true. And so this learning, this stages of learning, this progress in learning, moving to adding virtues to your learning, to your knowledge, so you become a person who's a blessing as opposed to someone who's just lording it over you and somehow pridely uh, showing this. And I think this wise counsel was demonstrating this sense that, hey, there are different levels and layers and types of knowledge but since it's progressive and since we are constantly learning and always need to be learning, humility should be very much part of that. There's some interesting quotes about knowledge uh, you can find on the internet. Uh, Confucius, real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. And I think that's true. Aristotle summed it up and said, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. And you start to gain some understandings. My, uh, my thought about education is that education isn't something that gives you the answers. Education is something that leads you to the questions and gives you some tools and resources and critical thinking skills so you can learn what the answers are and spend the rest of your life learning how to answer them <laughs> or trying to answer them, some of which probably are not answerable. Uh, Alexander Pope was probably one of my favorite of the English poets, 18th century, and he said it well. Uh, And this is uh, iambic pentameter, this meter. A little learning is a dangerous thing. A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not of the Pyrian spring. And what he's saying there is either you drink it deeply so that you get the fullness of what knowledge has to offer to you or don't touch the spring at all because getting a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. There, shallow draughts intoxicate the brain. Think you know everything and yada, yada, yada. And drinking largely sobers us again. So drink and drink and drink deeply of the knowledge of the well. I used to tease my students when they came into my class. I'm not sure this is always a good advertisement or not, but I would say there are four types of people who have entered my classroom today. There are those of you who know and know that you know. And I said that's a good quality. Hopefully the professors in that category, and I'm sure I have some exceptional students who are in my midst. There are those who know and don't know that they know. There are people who have good knowledge, but they really aren't aware of it. They lack confidence, and they just need to be told, Hey, folks, you've got it. Go. Go and and do the task that God's called you to do and, and get on with life, because you've got it, and you need to go. There are people who know not and know that they know not. And that's your very best student because they just want to drink in everything you had to offer. I just love students who came to class saying, I can't wait to take this class. I've been waiting for it because I want to know more about church history. I want to know about this and that. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's engage. And then you have that one student or more who come in and they know not and they know not that they know not. And that's the student that you say, oh, my goodness. You can't teach them anything. They know everything. They got an answer. It's usually wrong. They're obnoxious. People hate them by the end of the semester. Uh, it's, I had one student who was in that category as he came into my class. I couldn't teach him anything. He answered every question, and it's usually wrong. I was like, oh, my goodness. This guy, don't answer, please. <laughs> every time you ask a question, he goes hand up. And you know, you know it's wrong. It's like, okay. And he gives it to you, and it's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> But anyway, by the end of the semester, he walked. To, he, I had to walk back to my office. with, him. I asked somebody to walk back with me because we did teacher evaluations and you weren't supposed to carry them yourself. Somebody else was supposed to take them back to the office for you so you wouldn't raise your scores. Uh, uninte- in, yeah, cheat. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, he walked back to me and he said, Dr. Smith. He said, I've been a fool. He said, all, all the semester long, I, I was obnoxious. I was... Thinking I knew everything, and I, I'm right now. I feel like I don't know anything at the end of your class, and I said, "Well, finally, you're at a place that you can be taught, and you can get an education." And I was finally at that place, and so it was kind of a, a fun, glorious moment to help help somebody realize that they're ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a passage in the Second Peter text that we, or uh, uh, Second Kings text we read this morning, that said that the people of God, the, even the Jews who knew God forgot about God and they forgot about the knowledge of God that was very much a part of their story the the book of the law and it was even lost to them and all of a sudden they find it in the temple and they bring it out and they say what is this and the priest takes it to the king said what is this and they read it to the king and the king says oh my goodness we have not been obeying the words of the Lord we've been idolatrous and we've been immoral and we've been uh, undone and he says we got to find out what we need to do and what God's going to do and to a certain extent, it was too late for those people of God. They'd ignored and given inattention to the words for so long that there was no real remedy for them people. God's judgment was coming because they'd become so deplorable as a culture. And the challenge is so strong for that sense that we give attention properly to the things of God so that our lives can be lives that God can bless and can be used. Uh, this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1 is a follow-up to the verses I read before He says, for if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, they get to the point where they're even blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. And the idea behind that uh, highlighted, uh, bolded section is you can even get to the point as a believer, if you ignore God and you just start paying attention to the Word of God in your life, that you can forget that you're even purged from your sins. You can forget that you're even a Christian in the first place. You say, you know what? I don't think that's true anymore, or, or yada, yada. And what does it come from? It comes from inattention to the Word of God and to the things of God. And it's a dangerous place, I think, for believers to be. So the challenge of all of us is to add to our faith. Add to our faith knowledge, a knowledge that builds us up, a knowledge that increases our faith and causes us to understand God in a greater and greater way. And that's the emphasis that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we come to this passage. The passage is, is more about wisdom than knowledge, but there's not a lot of difference. When uh, Peter is talking about knowledge in 2 Peter 1, he's, uh, he's talking about gnosis, which is a practical knowledge, and knowledge that... Deeply is aware, it's relational knowledge, relationship to Jesus Christ, but it's also practical, deep knowledge that allows you to be effective and productive in the world, which is very much like wisdom, what wisdom does. And so I would say for a couple definitions related to wisdom, wisdom is mature knowledge, knowledge which is tempered by experience, by compassion, and by deep contemplation, thoughtfulness, as you think about your knowledge and its implications for the world. Wisdom is knowledge... that that is added to the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. And when you have virtuous knowledge, that's wisdom. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without at least some knowledge. Someone can have a great deal of knowledge and not be wise. Someone can be very wise without being formally educated, which is very important. On the other side of things, I know many people who were educated far beyond their intelligence. They had a great... (laughs) I've met a lot of people who had doctorates who really weren't that bright. (laughs) There's a lot of knowledge there, but the the light's not very bright. Uh, I'll leave that alone. Uh, So ultimately, what Paul and what Peter are after are getting the right type of knowledge, a knowledge that builds you up in faith, a knowledge that builds you up in the knowledge of God so that you have holistic understanding of all of life. And you can incorporate it all together into a wisdom that allows you to be effective and productive in the world. That's what Peter's promoting. That's what Paul's promoting. And it's a knowledge that you get and you all of a sudden say in your spirit, I mean, sometimes you watch a movie and you say in your spirit, you, you, your spirit just identifies emotionally with a movie that you watched. And there's other times when you hear truth, you hear things expressed and you say, that's true. That, that is good. And that is God. And you know that very, in the depth of your being, there's a demonstration in your spirit that this is right, this is true, this is good, and this is of God. And you sense that. And that's the, that's the type of knowledge that Paul is promoting in this text. I'm going to cover this passage relatively quickly, and I'm going to give you some attributes that are the, quali- the types of quality of knowledge and wisdom that God wants us to have as we're in this pursuit of adding to our faith virtue or adding to our faith knowledge. What type of knowledge should you be adding? It's not just trivia. It's not just factual data. It is a knowledge that is uh, defined by certain qualities, and these qualities are laid out for us in this passage. So let me cover them for you. There are 12. First of all, this knowledge is centered in a person. The person is Jesus Christ and all the events associated with him. He is the word of God. He is the logos of God that spoke the world into existence. And he is the one who is the center of our wisdom and understanding. Paul is uh, accentuating in this passage that he's in contrast to the sophist philosophers who were in Corinth who used rhetoric and used style to really promote themselves. And so their first, as they entered the city as someone unknown, they promoted their own identity and then it was almost like their identity and who they were was more important than the message they had to convey. It was all about them and people were loyal to them and were followers of them and it really didn't make any difference what they taught. It was just personality cult. And Paul said, not me. <laughs> I'm not eloquent. I don't have eloquent words. I don't have all this uh, fluff and whatever. So what my message is, it's just transparent. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the way we should be in our Christian message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our wisdom and our knowledge is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. It's cruciform. Cruciform means shaped like the cross. And the idea behind cruciform is that, it's, that it's, we know Jesus Christ and know him and him crucified. Not to say that we're reducing knowledge down to that. But that everything about our knowledge has a purpose of serving the world. It's self-sacrificial. When Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross, the very Lamb of God, the very wisdom of God, Logos of God, offering himself on the cross, what he's doing there is he's offering himself in sacrifice to all of us to lift us up. And true knowledge and wisdom does that. It's self-sacrificial. It's humble. It's meek. It's determined. It's confident in the truth. And that's why Paul was saying, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's not saying that's the only thing I'm going to talk about. He's saying that truth, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, gives definition and meaning to all of the knowledge. It pulls it all together. And all knowledge should be serviceable to our good and God's glory. And so when you pull that all together and realize that it's cruciform, it's serving the needs of others. And it's not self-serving, but self-sacrificial. It's certified by power, divine power, demonstration of power. Now, a lot of people look at that and they say, well, maybe Paul is talking about signs and miracles. And there were signs and miracles that that people uh, received and and, uh, would know about and certified the messages. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's not talking about signs and wonders. He's talking about when I came among you and brought to you the word of God, that word of God changed your lives. You knew it in the depths of your being. It convinced you of the truth. And that truth came down and convicted your heart to such an extent that it transformed you and converted you to the very depth. And to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and his power is to know resurrection power, that you died with Christ and you're alive with him and his resurrected power. So when it says certified with power, demonstrated by the power of God, what it's talking about is the power of the resurrection working in your life because the proof of the truth of the gospel Is changed lives. Lives that have been transformed. If you say I've been touched as a Christian and your life is unchanged, there's no demonstration. And when you see a changed life, then it's like, wow, this is incredible. Certified by divine power. Rooted and resulting in faith. Jesus Christ was the root of Jesse, but he was also the branch out of Jesse. So Jesse's, he's before and after Jesse. Faith is before your knowledge, but your knowledge adds to your faith. And so it, your, your faith gives you knowledge, but your knowledge also increases your faith. And when you're getting that type of knowledge that builds your faith, as opposed to tears it down, that's the type of knowledge. So it's rooted and resulting in faith. It's revealed to the apostles and prophets. What's interesting in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, if you watch it closely, Paul in the first four or five verses says, I, me, my. He has first-person pronouns. When you get to the verse 5 or so, he begins to shift and talk about we and us. And he's not talking about himself with the Corinthians. What he's talking about is himself and the leaders, the Corinthians were trying to identify as head of their parties, as being the ones who've been recipients of the truth of God. So he's saying we, in the sense of me, uh, uh, Paul, uh, Apollos, Cephas, Christ, we are recipients of the revelation of God. Now, Christ doesn't belong in that list because Christ is the center of our theology, but but these apostles and prophets, these individuals, had received revelation from God, and that was delivered for us to our uplifting, and it was something that is revealed to them for our blessing. And these privileged individuals brought to us the Word of God. We say that every Sunday in our creed. We say that the Holy Spirit has what? He's spoken by the prophets, Right? We say it in, in our statement about the church. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And the apostles and prophets are the foundation upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. With Who's the cornerstone? Jesus Christ isn't just the foundation. He's the cornerstone of that building, the chief stone of the building. But the apostles and prophets are the foundation. The word of God that they receive from the Spirit of God revealing the truth of God is what this wisdom is all about. And so, giving our hearts and our minds to the Word of God and giving our thoughts and hearts and minds to the theology that comes from this, that the church has thought about and meditated upon and and contemplated for centuries, is what we're building into our lives. It's imparted. Oh, I didn't give you. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) It's imparted to the mature uh, in the faith. Now, there are some people who receive the Word well. Other people who hear the word of God and it goes in the ear, out the ear, and it's gone. Sometimes it's right over the top of the head. And Paul is saying, you know, the people who are really, this is directed to, are people who put themselves in the position, in, in a attentive position to really hear the word. There's something about our own maturity that we're responsible for. God does grow us. God does give us all the tools and everything we need to grow in our Christian faith and understanding. But there's something about putting ourselves in the right position so that we can hear it and understand it that's really crucial for this. And the mature are individuals who put themselves in that position where they can hear the Word of God. Uh, they're not self-absorbed. They're not self-focused. They're not self-exalting. They're a person who's listening from the heart to say, God, how can I become a better person? How can I serve you better in the world? And Paul is talking to that. He uh, contrasts... Uh, carnal or natural and spiritual people in this passage, people who are believers, people who aren't believers. But he also says among Christians, there are, there are three types of Christians he identifies in his past, in his, uh, this chapter and the next chapter. The mature one is the one who hears God and obeys God. But then you have an, uh, an infant in Christ, someone who's a new believer, and they don't know very much yet. And that's a, that's a normal state to be in. It's not a normal state to remain. Our children who are in the back here, if they remain children their entire life, that would be a horrible thing. But the fact that they're children right now and act like children is a normal thing, right? It's, it's, it's a recognized position, and we accept that. That's who they are. That their children need to be taught and learn and grow. But there's also a third category Paul talks to, and it's the carnal Christian. He said they're like babies, they're like infants, and they should be mature, as Hebrews also adds to it, but they still are infant in their understanding. They they hear the word, it goes over their head, it goes through their ears but they're never changed by it. And he looks at that state as almost something that is problematic for someone to remain infantile their entire Christian life. And he says this truth, these truths are imparted to the mature. They're hidden in secret to rulers and authorities in this age. Paul might have been talking a little bit about political leaders, but more so he was talking about spiritual powers and forces that are alive in the world. In the 21st century, we don't think about that very often, but in the 1st century they were fully aware that there were principalities and powers that operated in our world. I think the the various uh, Anabaptist groups get this better than we do uh, and I think what they understand is when you pledge yourself in loyalty to something and a lot of people do this together pledging themselves in loyalty to some Lord other than Jesus Christ there's a power that enters into that pledged loyalty that happens in you know, little organizations we're a part of. It could be in, na- in nations and whatever. And Daniel understood this to be principalities and powers that operated among nations, where you had even angelic beings, good angelic beings and evil angelic beings, with as powers over nations. And that Michael was the ruler of Israel, and uh, he fought against. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the of the passage. I wasn't planning to go there, but he was fighting against uh, Lucifer, I guess. And over Babylon, and so the, the ruling and the power and the principalities and powers, there was a sense of powers. And what Paul is saying in this text is, when Jesus Christ came into the world, if the rulers and authorities understood who he was, if they understood what the plan of God was from the foundations of the world, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's not that Pilate did this. It's not that someone else, ruler did this. It's that these principalities and powers were behind them, inspiring people to do this. And had they known the implications of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead, they never would have done it because it unleashed the plan of God in the world. The power of the gospel is life transformative. It's cruciform. It's resurrection. And these things are central. And had these principalities and powers known about it, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. That's sort of why Paul is talking about I know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. This knowledge is prepared for those who love God. He says the mature before, but here he says love God. Hear that passage. Hear that little expression for those who love God. We often quote uh, Romans 8.28 saying that all things work together for good for everybody, right? No, all things work together for good to those who love God. There's wonderful things that God's prepared for everyone, maybe, but especially for those who love God. And so the mature, really, are those people who truly love God, and that's something we need to focus on in terms of our pursuit of knowledge. It's eternal, but revealed in time and history. God's truth is eternal. It's something ancient. It's antiquated, and antiquated is not necessarily bad. (laughs) <laughs> we live in a world where new knowledge is good knowledge and old things are, th- are to be tossed away. In the ancient world, that was not so. If it was new and novel, throw it away. If it was antiquated, then give it some attention because it stood the test of time. And so this eternal truth has been revealed now in time to the apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's derived from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, the, is uh, in this text, I think mentioned five times as imparting to us truth. And this Holy Spirit is the Spirit that knows the mind of God. It's God's own Spirit. It knows God's mind. And what better source for understanding the mind of God than the Spirit of God? Our Spirit knows ourselves. Sometimes there are people who say they know us and they say things about us and we know in our Spirit that that's not true because it's, our Spirit knows who we are. And it's the Spirit of God that knows the person of God, the mind of God, and conveys to us the things of God. And so giving attention to the Holy Spirit is crucial as we look at it in this passage. So it's truth and knowledge that is derived from the Spirit of God. It's delivered through preaching and teaching. Paul was the first person to say that he pre- what his preaching was was foolishness and that he did it in weakness. And I have this responsibility as a pastor to stand before you and teach you the Word of God and teach you the truths of God, and it's humbling because I want to make sure I represent the full counsel of God. I want to make sure I get it right, get it accurate, and there's a, there's a humility associated to it. But it's also a glorious thing that somehow when we come together and we exalt Jesus Christ, and we exalt the gospel, and we elevate the things of the Spirit, that this is what we do together. And these are the truths of God, and this is really what this passage is all about putting ourselves in positions where we're sharing together in group and community the very Word of God, and it's delivered to us through preaching. And I'm not just trying to elevate my own vocation, but I'm also emphasizing that there's a lot of ways where we as believers can do this work of giving attention to the Word of God beyond just being here. It might be our small group Bible studies. It might be some other means, but giving attention to the Word of God is crucial for our own spiritual growth and adding to our faith the, the knowledge that we need to grow. It results in possession of the mind of Christ. I stop sometimes to wonder and say, what is it talking about, the mind of Christ? Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. What is that? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? We don't all think the same here in this church, do we? We have a lot of different opinions and ideas. What does it mean that we have the mind of Christ? Uh, Augustine had a very uh, interesting expression that evangelicals uh, probably find uncomfortable but he said that a person should get to the point, and he said they can and they should get to the point in their life where they no longer need the Word of God. And what he meant by that is that you've spent so long reading the Word, learning the Word, understanding the heart and mind of God, contemplating the things of God, the theology related to God, that you're, you're so filled with an understanding of God's hearts, God, God's heart, God's ways, God's mind, that as you walk and operate in the world, you have the mind of Christ. Now, that takes a season of learning <laughs> and a season of adding. But I think that's what Paul is aspiring us to and pointing us toward. Get to the place where you're so filled with an understanding of the things of God that as you operate in the world, you understand what God's thoughts are. Even on topics that the Bible might not even talk about. What's God's mind on cloning? might know? There's no passage about cloning. What's God's mind on uh, surgery, heart surgery and things? like Nothing on that. But as you understand the word of God, the thoughts of God, the mind of God, the theology of God, the image of God, all these things, you have discernment in the mind of Christ. And that's the ultimate goal in our discipleship, to come to the place we have added so much to our faith of knowledge and wisdom that we walk about in this world. With the wisdom and the discernment that Almighty God gives. So, what's our takeaway? My statement about a wise person is this a wise person is someone who puts him or herself in a position where success is maximized. Our bishop yesterday at uh, our Curcio meeting uh, was talking about fishing, and I liked it. I love fishing, and uh, Father Jose doesn't like fishing, so he didn't like the metaphor. I like the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but I know as someone who loves fishing that there's something about fishing that you have to gain some knowledge and you have to put yourself in the right position to succeed in your fishing. And I can remember going to various streams. And I, I, I can go to a, a brook in Maine and just look at it from a bridge and say, trout are there, they're not there. Because I know how, it, how, it, how to read it. I've fished enough on these brooks to know where the fish are. And you can do that to lakes, you can do it to other bodies of water. You just have this sense about you once you've fished enough to have this sense of putting yourself in the position to succeed. Uh, One of the best examples my brother-in-law and I had was we were fishing on this lake, a a little pond, Fowler Pond, Upper Fowler, in Baxter State Park in Maine. And it was a beautiful place. And people told us there were a lot of trout there, and we weren't catching anything. And we didn't know how to read this body of water because we didn't fish it very much. And we knew that trout look for cold, cold water. Coldest part, that's where they'll be. And we heard off in the mountain beside this, uh, this pond water running. And so we put our canoe up on the shore, walked back in the woods, and sure enough, there was a water flowing down out of the mountain. It was cold, cold water. And once that water reached the bottom of that hill, it went underground. And there we are, we said, that water goes underground and comes out into the pond. And so we went out there and we, f- we went to the nearest place where that water was and felt the water. It was about 10 degrees colder than the water in the rest of the uh, rest of the uh, pond. And all of a sudden, we started casting our lines there. Every time, chung, 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 uh, 10, 12, 14-inch trout, just perfect for pan frying. I it's like, yeah. <laughs> and we put ourselves in the position to succeed in our endeavor of catching fish. And we caught our of fish. Question for all of us. What can we do to put ourselves in a position to grow spiritually by adding wisdom and knowledge to our faith? What practices do we need to be adding to our lives? What disciplines do we need to be adding to our lives? What people do we need to be surrounding ourselves with as mentors and teachers? How, what access And that's individual for every one of us. Some of you are already doing a whole lot of things. But some of us are not doing very much at all. And just ask yourself, if you want to succeed at this fishing game, (laughs) at this adding to your faith knowledge, where can you put yourself in a position to gain what you really need to gain to succeed? I pray God gives you the creativity to imagine what that means for you in your own personal life. Father, may your blessing be with all of us as we seek to add to our faith knowledge so that we become people who are effective and efficient in our Christian life. Give us good opportunities, but help us to put ourselves in positions where those opportunities are made available to us that we grow and we become mature. We become lovers of God and we live in the world in a way that's effective for your kingdom purposes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.